Good morning, Central Nazarene. Thank you for joining us again for this Sunday. I'm starting a brand new sermon series today called Fear Not. There's never been a time, more than right now, that people need to hear these words, fear not. Fear not. People were fearful after 9-11. Do you remember that? Everyone over 30 remembers those times. Shortly after 9-11, the very next week, you may recall, there was an anthrax threat. Do you remember that? Five people died. Someone was mailing anthrax through the mail. People thought it was connected to the terrorist attacks. Turns out that it was a government scientist that went off the deep end. It was a crazy, fearful time, the fall of 2001. But people still went to their jobs. If a loved one was in the hospital, they could still visit them. We could gather in church together. In fact, after 9-11, the Sunday after 9-11, it was like Easter Sunday packed. Well, not last Easter Sunday packed, but normal Easter Sunday packed. People were fearful, but we had each other. People could gather together. We could worship together, pray together, hang out together. This is different, totally different. Never before in my life have people been more fearful than they've been in the last month. You look at people different in the grocery store. Are they sick? They kind of look sick. We can't do normal things. Can, can I just say this? Anyone who says they're not dealing with fear right now, no fear at all, they're either the only person in the entire world who's emotionally, spiritually, physically healthy and who have zero relatives or zero loved ones in the high-risk category of coronavirus or have not been laid off from their job It's either that one and only person or they're in denial. Life is different, and it will be different for who knows how long. There's a fear across our land. People are fearful. And so we're going to be talking about that in this series, talking mostly about irrational fears, but there are certainly healthy fears. Fear of falling to our death keeps us away from the edge of a cliff. Fear of heart disease motivates us to to eat better and maybe exercise. Fear of fast-moving objects causes us to to duck or flinch. Fear of big, mean, snarling dogs with their hair standing up on the back of their neck causes us to be cautious. Fear of getting burnt keeps us a, a safe distance from a campfire. Pastor John Gildner has a fear of my driving skills, which that may be considered a healthy fear. I'm not sure. There are healthy fears that that God has given us, instilled in us. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about rational fears, rather irrational fears. But what about the fear folks are feeling today? COVID-19 is a real thing. We, we, We can't deny it. People have died. Lots of people are sick, even people from our own church. Michigan is one of the worst hit states in the country. I like it when Michigan is number one, but not in this category. So what do we do with our fear? Should we drown our fears with alcohol? Alcohol sales are up. Should we stuff our fears with food? You don't want that COVID-19. Should we bury our fears with working out or online shopping or binge watching Tiger King on Netflix? Should we allow our fears to morph into anger and letting it spill out on everyone around us? What should we do with our fears? Well, the Bible, over and over again, uses the words, fear not. How does that apply in a pandemic? I've used the spelling for not for the series as K-N-O-T instead of N-O-T. 
And I, my guess is we all know the reason for that. Unhealthy fears ties us up in knots. Undealt with fears keep us from fulfilling our potential. Buried fear robs us of joy. So the Bible says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Trust God. Verses like 27, uh, Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Or Psalm 118.6, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mortals do to me? Or Proverbs 3.25 and 26, Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Or my favorite, maybe it's your favorite too, Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Over and over again in the Bible, we're told, don't fear, don't fear. First John reminds us, perfect love drives out all fear. What a great verse. When God's love is filling us, when God's love is poured into us, when we are captivated by God's power and might and glory of God's love, and it's poured into us, then we need not be consumed by fear. Perfect love drives out all fear. Sometimes at weddings, I tell of the couple that loved that verse, 1 John 4, 18, perfect love drives out all fear. In fact, they loved it so much, they proclaimed that it was their verse. Like some couples have a restaurant that's their restaurant, or other couples have a favorite song that is their song, or a favorite TV show that's their show. Well, this couple, their verse, 1 John 4, 18, perfect love drives out all fear. They put it on the napkins, on their invitations. They wanted it on their wedding cake. All over, perfect love drives out all fear, 1 John 4, 18. Well, the problem was, the cake decorating lady, she was not a church-going lady. She didn't know that there was a difference between the gospel of John and the first epistle of John. So she simply wrote on the cake, John 4.18, not 1 John 4.18. And there's a big, big difference between 1 John 4.18 and John 4.18. 1 John 4.18, perfect love drives out all fear. But John 4.18 says, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. Ah, big difference, big problem. Let me give you this disclaimer. It's kind of a big deal. I, I, I don't want you to miss this point. Usually whenever God tells someone to fear not, usually there's a big, hairy, scary task that God wants the person to do. It's a situation that under normal circumstances, if you were to do that thing that, uh, without God, then you should really, really be afraid. But with God, you can handle it. Fear not. Does that make sense? Usually, it's going to be something out of the person's comfort zone. A really big deal. And the lesson, don't be afraid, I'm going to be with you. This is a big deal, but don't be afraid. In Genesis 15, God told Abram, later Abraham, don't be afraid. You're going to be the father of a great nation. It's a really big deal. You're going to have to leave or go to the promised land, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. In Genesis 21, God told Hagar when Abraham kicked her and Ishmael out of the house, don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you, Hagar. It's a big world out there, but I'm going to be with you. Don't be afraid. In Genesis 46, 
God came to Jacob and said, all right, Jacob, I want you to go into Egypt, but don't be afraid. God told Moses over and over again, don't be afraid. God told Joshua and the, and the people of, of, of Israel, don't be afraid. God told Gideon when he was about to face the Midianites, don't be afraid, Gideon, I'm gonna be with you. It's a big, hairy deal, but don't be afraid, I'm gonna be with you. God told the prophets over and over again, uh, don't be afraid, you can handle it, I'll be by your side, you can trust me. Elijah, when Jezebel was breathing down his neck, don't be afraid. When the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, Zephaniah, Zechariah, God said it over and over and over to every one of them, don't be afraid, you need not be afraid. In the birth narratives of Jesus, the angels came to both Mary and Joseph, said, don't be afraid. So it's not surprising that Jesus said it a lot too. One of the last things he told his disciples on the night he was betrayed, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Be not afraid. And when John the Revelator was writing what would be the last book in God's revelation to mankind, I'll give you three guesses what Jesus told old John. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. In the Bible, over and over again, God says to his people, yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, without me, you, you should be afraid but I'm with you. Don't be afraid. So here we are. Coronavirus, COVID-19. It's a really big deal. COVID-19 is a legitimate fear. Coronavirus is serious business. It's a big deal. But just like Abraham and Jacob and Moses and Joshua and David and all the prophets and everybody else that was staring down a big hairy deal, God says to us, fear not. So why are people so fearful? Or maybe the, the, the question should be, why are Christians so fearful? I get it. If you don't believe in God, you should be fearful. I get it. If you don't believe in a God that works miracles, I get it. I get it. I get it. You, sh you, should, you should probably be, be fearful. But here's the truth. In every miracle in the Bible, listen to this, every single miracle in the Bible, without exception, preceding the miracle, there was a problem. In the Old Testament, the Red Sea in front of the children of Israel, the Egyptian army behind them, that's a problem. But God worked a miracle, you know, split the Red Sea in two. Massive giant facing little old David, that's a problem. But God downed that giant with a stone from David's slingshot. No more giant, no more problem. Daniel in a den full of lions, that's a problem. The guys in the fiery furnace, that's a problem. Every single miracle is preceded by a problem. Every one in the New Testament, same thing. People are blind, people are lame, people have leprosy, people are demon-possessed, people are dead, just ask Lazarus, people are dead, all problems. Then Jesus worked a miracle. If there were no problems, there would never have been a need for a miracle. And the miracles happen when God intervenes, when God steps in and says, all right, enough is enough. My point. We can trust God. He knows what we need when we need it. Has coronavirus come to mean we can't trust God anymore? Has COVID-19 robbed us of trusting in God Almighty? I, I guess I need to be clear here. Crystal, crystal clear, very clear. Coronavirus, COVID-19, pandemic. Staying at home, living people, listen to me. I'm not saying if you pray hard enough, nothing bad will happen. Nothing fearful will happen in your life. I'm not saying that. I'm not proposing that, that everything that happens to you is the will of God. Some of the things that have happened to you are clearly not the will of God, are the work of evil and bad things that bad people did. 
I'm not suggesting that if you don't have enough faith, you will never have to face fear. These are tough times and COVID-19 is real. I'm not saying that we need to be like some of those churches that are going against the medical directives and still meeting in large crowds in the last few weeks that you've seen on the news. I think a church has a responsibility to care for its neighbors and to show its neighbors that we want them to be healthy. I'm, I'm preaching from my living room for crying out loud because I want you to be healthy and safe. I'm not saying let's be stupid and ignore the overwhelming medical opinion. Let's be stupid regarding COVID-19. That is not what I'm saying. Don't hear that. Don't hear, well, God's going to protect me. I can do whatever I want. God's going to protect me. I have enough faith. We don't need to go to the edge of a cliff, step off, and think that God's going to protect us. More than likely, God's going to let you go splat on the sidewalk below. Why? God created gravity. That was one of the devil's temptations for Jesus. Do you remember that? The devil took Jesus to the top of the temple, told him to jump off, and said, said, the angels will break your fall. You won't go splat on the sidewalk, Jesus. The angels will protect you. Of all the people in the world, the angels are going to protect you, Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Do you remember? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Translation, don't be stupid. If there's a worldwide pandemic going on, don't be stupid. Oh, the Lord's going to protect me. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And that's why I'm preaching from my living room. And that's why, why we're listening to the experts who are, who are saying what they're saying about this pandemic. And when we finally, finally, finally do get back together again, we'll probably do things a little bit differently. Certainly in the beginning, Will our greeters be squirting out hand sanitizers when you come into the building? Maybe. Will you have to sing with a mask on? I don't know. Could be. I doubt that we'll be too excited about passing the peace. Have a piece of COVID-19. <laughs> Sorry. No, thank you. We'll, we'll probably use individual communion cups instead of passing the trays for a while. We'll, we'll probably have offering boxes in the back of the sanctuary instead of passing the plates. We'll practice social distancing. Who knows, we may have to limit the size of the, of the number of people in the worship service. Maybe, maybe, maybe all those things, some of those things, none of those things, I don't know. We don't want to be stupid regarding COVID-19. Wear your mask. Use your hand sanitizer. Don't touch your face. Wash your hands. But also, don't be fearful. Do not fear. God has been with us in the past. He'll be with us in this present circumstance. We're going to dig into that more deeper next week's sermon. I hope you'll join us. Do you remember how the children of Israel were so fearful and they were grumbling and complaining to, to Moses in Numbers 13 and 14? Remember, God said, all right, here's the plan. We're going to go into the promised land. It's yours for the taking. I'm going to go before you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Even if you don't like milk or honey, you're going to love it. It's a great place. I'm giving it to you. It's the promised land. Go, 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 go. So Moses commissioned those 12 spies to go check it out. And you remember those little James Bond wannabes returned and said, man, the land is great. Fruit and vegetation are huge and wonderful. But they also have walled cities. And it looks like they have some huge, strong warriors. 10 of the 12 spies, the majority. So we can't do it. In fact, we're like, we're like grasshoppers in comparison to those monsters. There's no way we can defeat them. Let us remind you, oh, Mr. Warrior, Mr. Moses, we are not warriors. We were slaves. 
We're trained to make bricks. That's what we do. We make bricks. If there was a competition to see who could make better bricks, us or the Canaanites, we'd win hands down. We make awesome bricks, but they have swords and chariots and walled cities. And did we mention they're, they're huge? They're huge. We're like grasshoppers. We're, we're not even like grasshoppers. We're like tiny little crickets. There's no way we can beat those guys. But Caleb, one of the two spies who, who favored and who, who trusted in God, he didn't refute the facts. He didn't say, oh, I don't know what these guys are talking about. I didn't see any walled cities. I didn't see any big mean armies. What he said was, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. We don't need to refute the facts of COVID-19. It's bad, kind of scary. But God will be with us. What followed in Numbers 13 and 14 was those fear-mongering spies uh, convinced the people, the majority of the people, listened to the majority of the spies. And, And listen to what they said in Numbers 14. If we had only died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. How, fear, how fearful must you be? How overwhelming a sense of fear must you have? Say, you know what? I'd rather be a slave than be here. Those Frady Cat 10 spies who caused such a ruckus and fear, they, they just didn't get it. If God can open the Red Sea and save them, and if God could send quail and manna to feed them, and if God could break open rocks to give them water, are you kidding me? A few walled cities, oversized soldiers, they're no match for God. But the people didn't see it. They saw the mighty armies of the Canaanites instead of the mightiness of God Almighty. They were full of fear. Twice in verse 9, two times in one verse, Joshua and Caleb said, Don't be afraid. Lord's with us. Don't be afraid. He's going to work. But the people felt so threatened and insecure. They forgot what God had done. They were overcome by their fears. I think that's the key. When we forget what God has already done, it's easy to be overcome by irrational fears. Conversely, when we remember how God has worked in the past, we remember how we prayed and God worked, we remember what God has done. That's when we're empowered. A few weeks ago in our Peter's Tale series, we talked about how when Jesus and Peter and John and James, they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember that? And that's the moment when God said, this is my son of whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. Well, they came down the mountain and the other nine disciples were having a problem chasing a demon out of a kid. You remember that story? And before you get you know, overly pious considering those lame nine disciples, when was the last time you drove a demon out of a kid? Anyway, they, they couldn't handle it. They couldn't do it. Jesus comes down the mountain. It's a grisly scene. He had to drive a demon out of this kid, which he does. But before he drives the devil out of the kid, Jesus says something really, really interesting that we kind of skipped over a couple of weeks ago. And probably when you're reading this passage, just speed reading through the Gospels, you might miss it too. Jesus said this, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, we can't read Jesus' tone. 
We don't know for sure the, the voice inflection of Jesus. In a way, it sounds a bit harsh. Again, you and I, we haven't been driving up demons lately. It sounds a bit harsh to that dad and kid, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long do I have to put up with you goobers? Ah! But let me give you the context of Jesus' words. The minute Jesus spoke that, I mean the minute those words left his lips, you unbelieving and perverse generation, the people listening to Jesus would have known exactly what he was talking about. Those listeners in the first century, remember, it was a heavily charged religious environment. They knew the Torah like the back of their hand. And so, so when Jesus spoke that, unbelieving, perverse generation, their thoughts immediately would have gone to Deuteronomy 32. Oh, he's talking about Deuteronomy 32. When we hear Jesus say, you unbelieving and perverse generation, we think, oh, Jesus is kind of being harsh here, you know? But those original listeners would have instantly thought Deuteronomy 32. That's the generation of people that we've been talking about in Numbers 13 and 14. Same people. The generation that failed to enter into the promised land and the, and the reason they couldn't go is because God said in Deuteronomy 32, called them this unbelieving and perverse generation. So listeners in the first century, Jesus said that, they said, oh, Deuteronomy 32, the worst generation in all of our history, the worst generation of all time. Now, if you know your Old Testament, well, that's kind of saying something. There are a lot of bad generations, way more bad generations than good generations. I mean, the Old Testament story is full of messed up people over and over again, how they messed up, messed up, messed up, messed up. But Deuteronomy 32, that generation is considered the most messed up of all the generations before them. How messed up were they? They were the generation that saw the power of God at work like no other generation before or since. They saw all those miracles and signs and wonders that God gave allowing them to leave Egypt Remember all the plagues and all those problems that God sent to Pharaoh because old Pharaoh finally, finally, finally said, okay, enough is enough. Let me get out of here. Go, 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 get out of here. And when they got to the Red Sea, remember, Pharaoh changed his mind. The world's superpower changed his mind. And the mighty Egyptian army was hot on their heels and the Red Sea was in front of them. And what did God do? <sighs> Split the Red Sea in two. And they get across the Red Sea on dry land and then the Egyptian army follows them and blub, 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 they became fish food. But even more than that, every day, every single day, while in the wilderness, they didn't just see the miracles of God, they ate the miracles of God. God provided manna and quail and water every day. And, and do you remember what that generation did in light of all those miracles, all those blessings, when Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments? They made a golden calf. They started worshiping it. They started worshiping a golden calf. Are you kidding me? When it was time to enter the promised land, Numbers 13 and 14, the land that God promised, what did they say? Oh, we can't do it. There's giants living here. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. We could never, ever, ever go in there. Here's the problem. When God does a miracle, there's a certain amount of responsibility that comes with that. It's almost like to whom much has been given, much is required. When God does a miracle, it should increase our faith for him and for the next situation. Our faith should grow more and more and more what God has done in the past, now I should trust him more, but not so with the Numbers 13, 14 generation, the Deuteronomy 32 generation. They were unbelieving and perverse. They failed. They couldn't trust God for the next miracle. God kept doing miracle after miracle, and instead of growing, they were regressing. Instead of growing in their faith, they were growing in fear. 
So you get this Deuteronomy 32, they're called unbelieving and perverse. And that's what they were forever known as. By the time Jesus came around, hundreds and hundreds of years later, they were still called the unbelieving and perverse generation. Now here's my question. The, the whole sermon has been leading up to this. Are you ready? What will history books be writing about us? The people of 2020, in the midst of a pandemic, a once-in-a-century pandemic, what will they be saying about us? Oh, believe me, history books will be recording this event. They'll be talking about this for years and years to come, the pandemic of 2020. Will historians say the church of Jesus Christ flourished or floundered? Will they write how we cared for one another and loved one another and the unbelievers marveled at the church of Jesus Christ and that we emerged a great witness and a great power, a greater sense of the Holy Spirit's dynamic moving? Will that be written about us? See, when the plagues happened in the second and third century, history tells how Christians ran into the towns. Everyone else was running out, but the Christians, they ran in caring for their, for their fellow man. But by the time you get to the Middle Ages, Christians didn't always have a great record. And in their zeal to spread the gospels, Christians led the crusades. That's not a good evangelism tool. Love Jesus or I'll kill you. History has not been favorable to those generations. I suppose we could go century by century and find believers who behaved badly and find believers who behaved boldly. And my question is, how will history tell our story? This is Central Church's 100th anniversary. We're supposed to be showing each week, you know, celebrities wishing us a happy anniversary. And Central Church has a great history. We have a history of people sacrificing to get us to where we are today. How, how people in the 30s mortgaged their homes to get us through the Great Depression, how people in the 50s and early 60s mortgaged their homes so we could build the prop on this property, the old sanctuary, how when the fire happened in 1996, how, and you, some of you remember exactly where you were, and the fire came and everything was destroyed, and people said the church can't go forward, everything is destroyed, but the church grew and was stronger. And so I'm asking the church, what will historians write about us? Well, they say, oh, that church, they believed in God. They trusted him. They became stronger because of that. that, that trust. Then the people, our neighbors, they looked at us and said, wow, there's a people that love God and trust God and are, are trusting him to give them strength during these days. Will we behave boldly or badly? Will they see that we trust God with all our hearts? Let's keep on believing, keep on trusting, keep on caring for one another, keep on giving, keep on praying, keep on evangelizing, keep on inviting your friends to live stream these services, keep on sharing on Facebook and the different things that were going on. Will history write how the church of Jesus Christ emerged from this pandemic full of faith and hope and believe that God is on the throne, great is his faithfulness. Fear not, my brothers and sisters, God is with us. God will be with us. We have nothing to fear for God Almighty is on our side. Our Heavenly Father, Help us to not be consumed by our fears, but be, be consumed with the love of Jesus. Help us to proclaim that to our neighbors and our friends. Help us to share that. Maybe it's through Facebook or something else. But Lord, how we pray that you would use us during this time. Use us for your glory. Let it be said of the church of Jesus Christ that we are the people of God, pandemic or no pandemic, that we're trusting you today and every day. Help us, Lord, to be full of your love for perfect love. It drives out fear every time. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for a great day. In Jesus' name, amen.